welcome to Surviving Society, a political podcast from a sociological perspective. I'm Saskia. I'm Chantelle. Tiso. And uh, we're just giving you a little bonus episode because we've just recorded a brilliant um, episode with Onamik Saha, who was fantastic. But we thought we'd just do a little extra recording just to be like, oh my God, new academic year, new kind of season of Surviving Society. And unfortunately, Tiso couldn't make our episode last week. (laughs) So we're very pleased that he is no longer riddled. (laughs) (laughs) He had shingles, shingles, didn't he? I did, I did. Um, so, Cisa, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you have been up to? What have you been thinking about? Um, I suppose I have been thinking about um, just post-Brexit, how Europe and Britain shifted so firmly to the right and how it seems people are dying to be racist. Yeah. That, that, that burst in that they seem to be racist. Um. I, I, I was reading an article yesterday about the Italian MP who's in power, Silvini. It's like a populist He's a populist, yeah. At the moment. But Silvini, he's had links to the League and the British fascist parties. Mm-hmm. But there's a black MEP from the Congo, I think she was. Yeah, she's suing him. She's suing him and other, and other people. But, for being racist. But, but him and his party for years have been referring her to, referring her to as an orangutan. <gasps> um, he, he called the African immigrant slaves um, and he won't apologise and... It's just the the whole thing that these people have been dying to be racist and now it's just given the time. And I'm thinking, you've waited this long to be racist. Is that all you want to do? I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because this summer we've had also the Swedish elections, mm-hmm. which lots of people on Twitter were being like, yeah, well, you know, the BBC are going on about how it's swing to the right, but, you know, like, most people did not vote for a far-right government. And it's kind of like, well, yes, but a lot of people who didn't vote far-right before have now voted for a far-right government. Like... This is something we should be worried about, and not that I'm, like, pro-BBC, whatever. These things do not bode well. Like, mm. Europe's history with fascism is, it's like... It's also, it's also really interesting how Brexit is now sort of a positioned as a distraction to what's happening in other European countries. Oh. And um, actually they all feed into each other. Well, actually they all feed into each other. I'm, I'm really lucky to work on a project with Michaela Benson. Our biggest fan. Yeah, and um, <laughs> Karen O'Reilly and Catherine Collins um, about how Brexit is in, impacting British people living in Europe. And the part that I've been doing in the project is looking at how um, people, British people of colour are being affected. And the racism is fucking rife. Like, it's rife. Like, it is... And and it's like, yeah, we can talk about how racist Brexit, the Brexit campaign was, but there are things that are happening in Europe that should be really concerning us right now. I think what people need to be, and I think politicians need to be, is honest with people. Now, what the stuff that the far right have been saying and been saying for years, one of the biggest arguments is demographics. And the demographics of Europe is a declining... Uh, population having less babies and an aging population so that less people working so economically europe and britain need migration it's, it's a fact but the way the far right put these facts is that we're declining so we need to close our borders but it doesn't deal with the reality of migration so for example by the end of the century the, the world's population will go up by four billion and of that four three billion is coming from africa so migration is a big issue that will face the whole world. But the way the right are dealing with it, saying Europe needs to, Europe's retreating from the world, just like America is. And that's not going to work because it doesn't deal with the reality. These pro- problems will be there for everyone. You're just putting your head in the sand. 
Sorry. It is. It's mental, isn't it? Because this is like this is like a mo. This is a very big moment mm. right now, and it it doesn't. It, you're right. It doesn't feel like politicians are being honest. They're not being, like, they're, they're not well, they're not being honest. Politicians can't be honest because then they'd have to come down on a particular side, and they all the only sides politicians seem to be interested in is the opposite side to their critics or the opposition. You know, like Theresa May coming out and being like, "Well, I'm going to take anti-Semitism seriously," mm. and you're like, "But you're not going to address." the other kinds of racism in your party at all you're going to carry on with this the anti-terrorism bill yeah, yeah. like what the fuck like yeah how can you how can you justify that to yourself yeah. and also you know like the Labour Party being like oh you know for the many not the few and then their immigration policy shocking like why not get rid of detention why are you keeping detention why are you so, and like mm. to put Diane Abbott at the front of it I just think it's disgusting it's like just because Diane Abbott's at the front of it does not mean it's not a racist policy mm. like I just I'm so repulsed and sickened by our politicians at the moment I mean <laughs> always but, <laughs> but particularly at this moment where it's like there's such a vacuum but this is the thing left and right have been they've created a vacuum yeah and the problems are the problems the far right speak about. They're not. They are true problems. Like I said, migration is a true issue. Like I said, there's been so many people moving from Africa. Like another important point is China. The way China have exported their population around the world. So that one belt, one road initiative where they go to other right. Pop- hang on, rewind. Sorry, you need to you need to explain the China thing. So China have this policy called one belt, one road initiative, which sees them um, building infrastructure projects all around the world. So they've got a trillion dollars. And they've been handing out money in different places, high-risk countries in, in places in Africa. Um, so from Nigeria to uh, the Congo, from Malaysia to Cambodia. Infrastructure projects which they will build with Chinese labour. But one of the conditions is that they can ship their people out. So they can migrate people from China, but you can't bring people from your country into China. So what's the benefit to China? How's China making money so out So China doesn't, they don't want to make money. They, they want they, to produce they, knowledge and it, stuff, don't they? It's knowledge, yeah. but it's also a form of soft power. So I have bases in your in your Yeah, yeah, area. yeah. So, okay, it's like Russia during the Soviet Union yeah. getting ethnic Russians, whatever that means, yeah. to go and live to go in places. Ukraine so it's and about, Crimea. I mean, it's a form of control. Yeah. But this is, this. like I said, the far right speak about these. These are real issues, but no politician speaking about it. So migration is a real issue, but by retreating into ourselves mm. and reverting back to old racism, it won't solve like, any problems. You know, all this stuff about Theresa May dancing, I think, masks the real issues of Theresa May's trip to uh, African countries <laughs> and, like, that kind of desperate bid to, like, create deals. And we were... Was it three of us we watched that um, interview with Michael Crick from Channel 4 <laughs> where he interviews Theresa May and was like, what were you doing to stop apartheid? And she's like... And then she says something like, well, obviously Britain and South Africa have got deep historical ties. And you're like... Oh my god! Just be honest and just say, say I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like I'm I, sorry. Like Britain, we did awful things, and no, I didn't. I was. I thought Nelson Mandela was a terrorist, but I've changed my mind. Like people take think, that opportunity yeah, to do that. Just that like was... say something fucking real for once, rather than just coming out with this bullshit, being like, oh well, yes, I'm going to go and reflect on how wonderful Nelson Mandela was. It's like you can't. But you see, what, like, what's even more of a joke is that so we're going there, and like I said, people don't understand what it's like to be out in the world as. As, as Britain. So Britain has been trading with Nigeria for X amount of years, and in those years we only trade up to four percent in Niger- to Nigeria, and that's in intense. Four percent of what? Four percent. Four percent of their GDP, right? So of whose GDP? Of theirs. So that's, that's what we account for. 
Sorry, so we account for four percent of Nigerian Indeed, trade, yeah, basically. Correct. Yes. Okay. Uh, Where's China? And China is something like sixty percent. And, and in actual, <laughs> in actual tangible stuff like roads, buildings, we trade it in tangibles, like hedge funds, investment in vehicles, right. which don't benefit. So no the one. Nigerian government is not going to take Theresa May seriously They're when she's like. So, China, Af- African countries were laughing at us. Yeah. Because we we thought we can go back to we we can re- rewind the clock and go back out into the world and dominate the world it's as done. An, as it's empire done. empire two point zero it won't work but like I said these issues of migration and people need to, like I said it's going to have people have to either change their views about race and reassess where they are because at the moment white Europeans are scared for the first time they're scared because for the first time they can see power no, not for the first time I think but I think those fears have been exacerbated but, no, but in a very real term like China is going to be the leader of the world so for the first time in a long time there's not going to be a, a European at the top it's going to be a or yellow American. person or American yeah and in, India is going to be a second biggest on the economy so potentially a yellow person and a brown person above me mm. It's a shock to the system, and they don't know how to deal with this. And reverting back to old racism makes you feel comfortable. Old insecure, old kind of ways of being makes them feel secure. A time when they're at the top. So and that was Tiso just taking the role of a racist there. Tiso doesn't divide people into sort of uh, like primary sorry, colours. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to be like just a good example, but. It's it, like I said that kind of that kind of sense of fear is palpable, and you can see it in their politics. You can see it in the idea of when Bannon's talk about economic nationalism. It's the idea of trying to, to go back to a time when you we, we were at the top, we controlled everything. It, it's it's quite scary. So that's what you've been thinking about. This is what I'm thinking about. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. We have been doing um, over the summer when we've not been recording podcasts. We've been hanging out and writing together and we've been thinking about like London, which I think has been really cool, in it, at Saskia's house in Islington, talking about Tiso's PhD oh, and yeah. like anti-racism, um, in the history of anti-racism in London. And, I just and in the East End. And yeah. in the East End. And I think that's been quite, it's quite, it's been a nice thing. I've enjoyed doing that yeah, over the summer. Yeah, it's been cool. So, Sorry, sorry. I was going to say, like, when you think about the East End, and I think people tend to think it was a white space, but like up until 1945, that's where Chinatown was. Yeah. So Chinatown was in Shadwell. It's so interesting, and also like if you walk around the East End now, like there are a lot of Bangladeshis there. 33% of the population. And like that's that's not a new thing. No, 100. No. It's always been mixed. So in the like 17th century, there's lots of black people there. It's always been mixed. And, and like you know, there used to be a huge Jewish population. Yeah, and this I'm saying, I think, but that's London's story. I think London's always been diverse. I guess so. We've got we have actually got an episode coming out in a few weeks that we did um, at the Sociological Review Conference where we talk about podcasting to get for your PhD, mm. and we do t- touch on a few of these. What I'm going to say now, a few of these things in that podcast, but just to say that we've been doing this for a year now as mm. a three. And I guess what has changed in the past year for the three of us? I guess nothing has really changed in our the way we view society. Really, I don't know. No, I but I, I totally disagree. Oh, go on. I totally disagree. I see. I mean, as in, like, we still think, like, the establishment's racist and stuff. Oh, I see. Yeah, from that point of view. But I think through my conversations with you guys and through various other things, I feel like I see my relationship to the world around me very differently. I see myself very differently. And so, like, although, yes, I still, like, agree broadly with the uh, kinds of things we were saying a year ago. Yeah, I've, like, been questioning my place in the world in a way I've never, like, had the tools to do before. What do you mean? I mean, I feel like... 
even like embarrassed to like record <laughs> this. Oh. But like when I first, as in, I don't know, I find this really uncomfortable to talk about. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, but I'm going to do it. No, okay. no, 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 I'm doing it. Go on, do it, do it, Saskia. <laughs> so when I first met Chantal and Tiso, they were like, we were talking about like, backgrounds and like you know how we see ourselves blah 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 and they were like yeah so you're like mixed race and I was like no I'm not I'm white Mm. and you guys were like yeah whatever Mm. and like we had this conversation so often so often Mm. like ridiculous amounts and like talking about like what it means to not be white essentially Mm. what it means to be racialized what it means to like be perceived as not part of the majority Mm. And I think, like, it got to a point, I don't know, mm. must, maybe, like, four or five months ago, where mm. I was like, yeah, okay, Chantal, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I am a person of colour. Yeah. Even saying that out loud, right out, like, I am dying inside. But you can, but, you can, <laughs> but, but I think what's really important is, I, well, I think one of the reasons why some people of dual heritage or who are mixed race or there's, there's, there's colonial histories within families, mm. I think some people who feel uncomfortable with that or acknowledging that is because they've maybe in certain spaces been able to not be racialized. So that means that you don't feel like you have the same rights to claim racialization as people that never get to not be racialized. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, and I think like you know I do have to a large extent like proximity to whiteness. Yeah, but I think what I've come to understand is that like histories of being racialized run through both sides of my family even the like ostensibly whiter side of my family Mm. and just because I come like I come from like a hugely privileged background I'm not denying that but like all those kinds of colonial histories and like absence basically an absence of identity that comes with being like shunted from one colony to another and like you know we were very fortunate like I don't think anyone in my family was ever like enslaved or exploited in that kind of way but certainly like in a lot of ways were victims of like the way Britain just kind of threw its hands up and was like well if you guys don't want to be part of our empire then we don't want you and like left like millions of people across the world like totally high and dry Mm -hmm. um and yeah it's really complicated and like you know my mum's side we've talked a lot between us I don't know about on the podcast about like how Irish migrants were racialized mm. and like you know Satnam who's we're doing an interview with we recorded an interview with him in June but it's being released in a couple of weeks showed pictures at this lecture he gave of the way um Irish migrants were depicted as apes and yeah. depicted as monkeys and depicted as like you know in exactly the way that like racism towards black people manifests itself now and like understanding that that was part of my family history and that the racism the the white side of my family shows the Italian side of my family like they were the Irish side and they were racialising each other yeah. because they were both victims of like this kind it's, of racism it's something that I definitely have to always like keep reminding myself of whether it's in my writing or when talking about it and I was speaking to Mikola Benson about this recently she was saying to me about how we, we cannot ignore the, the production of whiteness Mm. And that is an integral to understanding the production of race and racism as yes. well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's constantly mutating. It's constantly changing. But like, yeah, Chantal and Tiso came to my birthday party, and Chantal said to me, like, I was looking around at your family thinking, how could these people ever see themselves as white? <laughs> it's like... We were also always in white spaces. Yes, so like, we just course. saw ourselves as like a bit browner than our friends. But yeah. like, I never really like... 
I had no way of putting it. And I would just, I would always just be like, what do you mean your grandparents don't speak in funny accents? Like, that's yeah. weird. Like, I don't know. You just, yeah. you normalize it yourself because we didn't have any language for talking about it. It wasn't something that my parents ever talked about. It wasn't something that, like, mm. you know, I'm sure. Yeah, it's like what um, France Widdens Twine um, <laughs> argues <that>? is called, <laughs> social theorist, sociologist, okay. argues it's called racial literacy within families. Yes, yeah. So the way in some families parents develop this way of talking about race and racism with their children and they pass that along but that actually doesn't happen in that many racialised families we don't really talk about race mm. that much in families you see did any of your the people that you used to like the white people did they ever make you feel that you were different or your family that like you're different when you're in those kind of social settings any sort of respectable racism did they did they say oh like I don't know I don't know what they would say uh, the only thing the things I can think of I remember being racialized by teachers at school. Mm. I remember like certain members of my family, you know, doing the whole like immigrant spiel and being like, "My dad's an immigrant." Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I don't know, but I, I just always remember being like, "Oh, it's funny that we look nothing like our cousins." I don't know. Like, I just, I yeah. like honestly, just like was not that. Or like, it used to drive me nuts that everyone always go like, "Oh my god, your hair is so thick." Oh. <laughs> Your hair is so... Oh, my God, your hair is so Did thick. they touch it? Yeah. Oh. oh, God, yeah. People used to play with my hair at school all the time. That's I have really, shocking. really curly hair. Shout out to Emma Dabiri, whose <laughs> new book, Don't Touch My Hair, is coming out in January. Oh Can't wait God. to read that. But, like, um, yeah, actually, until I said that out loud, I didn't really think of that as being racialised. But, but do you think also the acknowledgement that you're having yourself and within your family about being people of colour is falling in line also with the Brexit moment? Because I know we spoke on a previous podcast mm. of your dad um, getting his Greek passport. It's and a combination him having that things, certificate, yeah. of, certificate of alien. Mm. So, like, we're rethinking I think there's means. a lot of Brexit in there. There's, like, also my dad's dad died a few years ago. So I think my dad sort of had to reassess what his relationship was with, like, his past. Yeah. Um, and also... From my point of view, like, having had a breakdown and basically, like, I lost, like, all sense of self. Mm -hmm. Like, completely, like, had, like, basically a huge personality shift. Several times, actually. And coming out of that, basically, like, a way of, like, re-establishing my sense of self has to has been to try and work out, like, yeah. who the fuck I am. Which maybe yeah. sounds kind of blithe. Um, What's that mean? Like, a bit kind of, like... Obviously, everyone's always like, oh, who am I? You know, I don't know. Yeah, it just yeah, sounds yeah. like a dumb question. Yeah. But, like, I literally didn't have, like, when you don't have the no, sense it makes of self sense. as a person, it makes sense. like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think... I think that's the, that's the kind of characters of, of our age, being this kind of existential question. Who who am I? Who who, who are we? And this, I think people always ask, especially right now, no one knows who they are. And, and this is kind of passed on... You could see this kind and particularly of particularly as we're seeing this new this emergence of white nationalism in our country. Yes, yeah. Well, well, that we thought was our country, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I, 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 how mistaken we were. <laughs> it's interesting. I had an Asian boy come up to me, random, come up to me, and he, he asked me a question. I haven't seen this guy for ages, and he said to me, "Ask me what I'm doing." So I told him, and that's all I said. I said like two words, and he was so eager to speak. He goes, "Why are people not seeing me as British?" Because I'm born here. Because this I, is what's been happening in my PhD because, because as well. I'm English. He just randomly came up to you. He, I'm, I was in Sainsbury's, literally. You're kidding. Dead people always come up to you. Yeah. I've literally I've witnessed this when I've out. When I mean, out of the only people who come up to me 
groups. Yeah. Like exclusive. Yeah. People, if it's either black men like just wanting to talk about Tiso's body shape <laughs> or like just people just randomly talking to he, you. He was wanting to talk to me and he was so passionate about it. And he literally, I had to, I was saying, listen, I, I need to go upstairs because <laughs> I've got food in the fire. But he was so passionate to say, look, because I want people to know that I'm English. When you're, he goes, I'm born here. Yeah. He goes, I'm an English Asian person. He goes, I, I I don't know anything else. All I know is the East End. And he and he's absolutely but this topic is so on people's the people mm. talk about race so much yeah. and identity and who they are, it, it like I said, I, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Mm. I'm shocked that it's not in more mainstream discourse. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I've seen it when I've been recruiting for my PhD, so mixed race families um from the West Midlands. The enthusiasm, like I'm, get, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be able to interview everyone. I don't think for my PhD, the enthusiasm people have got, and like I sat down with someone um, to interview them not long ago, and he was like, "Oh, I'm just really, I'm just really happy that someone cares about my story." And my my PhD is focused on racism, and it's just like fuck, like people are really thinking about belonging, mm. belonging, identity, all these things, and citizenship, and these spaces that they kind of live in. So. How do people feel that live in, say, for example, say in East London, which is quite a cosmopolitan area, it's quite mixed, and so people are kind of like, well, how can you be, so, how can you be so right wing, but then equally, I've got people in the area that are very right wing that mm. think, yeah, we don't want to kind of mix anymore. It's too much because mm. a question of identity is on everyone's lips, yeah. and it's, it's 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 actually insane. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, is it really bad and like? unsociologist of me that I kind of want it to go away I don't want people to go I don't want it to go away people question their identity but I want the I want the racist stuff to go away like do you know what I mean I just want that like that that threat like to go away it feels so present right now I, I don't want I don't want that fe- I don't want that feeling of people being able to talk about their experience I don't want that to go away I just want the people that want me to go away to go away <laughs> I think we all long for that yeah I just think it's got so mainstream I think obviously those people have always existed and they've always held yeah. those beliefs but I just feel like I think yeah the mainstream conversation is so dominated by the right that even in like the mainstream left is dominated by those conversations yeah. and that's what I mean about Labour yeah. is like you have this huge swing to the left but they're like oh but except for immigrants mm. and you're like what do you mean except for immigrants like migrants are part of who we are the migrants Guardian are part of that. Our the Guardian about oh. I've noticed that in the Guardian a lot recently and like, it's, it's, they're just like we're just saying the truth that no one else wants to say. Uh, we're liberals. Like, we're fuck liberal. off. Yeah. It's the question of the, the question of like how are you looking at the kind of the kind of big questions? If you put into the broadest sweep of, of like global changes, like I said, climate change is one thing that won't go away, and migration is another thing. And when I look at how people, especially around Europe, are reacting to this, they're treating migration as as it's a bad thing. And I kind of thought of the best analogy I thought was maybe look at the kind of downfall of the Western Roman Empire. We had lots of groups migrating and ultimately ended up in the downfall of the Roman Empire. It did disappear in the West anyway, mm-hmm. but it also resulted in the creation of Europe. So migration it was a bad thing for one people in the short term, but in the long term, it created France, Germany, and these things came out of it. So without migration, you wouldn't have the modern states that we have today. And who knows what migration in the future will be or what, what benefits it will bring. But that's what people are frightened of. Because uh, you course, don't know. Of course, of course but I mean, but putting controls on migration doesn't make the future it, more certain. Exactly. But look at, look, at, look at the benefits they kind of brought out of that. So, like I said, it's how people... These problems are there, but it's how you deal with them. 
and people are dealing with them from a, from a negative point of view. They're going back to history, reverting back into themselves. It's not gonna. It, it doesn't make them go away. Shanta, mm. is there anything you want to talk about? <laughs> I wanted to talk about, and I think I'm I'm going to try and bring this up in a few more episodes, just as a reminder to everyone about how many people have died from austerity and how austerity is still going on, and that we've had about eighteen billion pounds worth of cuts to public services and because of Brexit it just seems like it's gone on the back foot like people aren't talking about it um I was lucky enough to lecture with Bev Skeggs who's like recently. a world famous sociologist and she was and she and she did a lecture just an introduction to class inequality um and it was just it was so like just she was just giving some just basic facts of class the makeup of class in Britain and it was just like oh my god because Brexit dominates so much of our discourse right now everyone is just forgetting like how fucked so many people are right now and how many people have died like Department of Work and Pensions they're literally the devil they have fucked so many people over like over 60,000 people have died because of being given the wrong assessments by um, for fit to fit for work and it's just like I know we know this stuff but it's just about saying it like just got to keep saying it because I feel like everyone is forgetting like this is this is a policy that is still happening like my mum is affected by this yeah. like every day my like my men my mentees my mentee her mum their family are affected by this every fucking day like it is horrendous the bedroom tax Shocking. Cutting tax credits, universal credit, which is a fucking complete failure, and just no one is talking about it. That like, it's government, like, it's like fucking ridiculous. Food banks, like food banks. Everyone <laughs> stopped talking about it. And did you know something? Bev was saying, and I didn't know this because I don't use a food bank. But they're if all I've controlled been controlled by it, the church, well, they're all controlled by the church. But you also have to have proof from yeah. many food yeah, banks yeah, yeah. that you are. You are. Yeah. Do you? So you don't. You, you can't buy afford food. Yeah. You have to. You be, can't just go to a food. No, bank. no, no. And lots of them will say, "No, you've been twice. You can't come again." Yeah. What the fuck? So yeah. So the Trussell Trust controls a lot of them, and they have really strict rules about who can go to a food bank. So more, more like radical ones, you can self-refer. Yeah. But because the Trussell Trust is such a monopoly, they like will do stuff like yeah. So you have to have like a doctor give you a food bank thing, or like a social worker, or so like there are gatekeepers, and those gatekeepers are essentially the people who are like stopping you getting benefits and stuff in the first but you know what I mean it's like oh we've taken away all your money and now you can't eat so here's two trips to a food bank but you see, this is what I'm this is what I'm scared of the, the world seems like where we are we seem to be reverting back to the past for lessons so that almost seems like the deserving and undeserving that is poor. literally it is, what it is I mean the government is. has basically said as much so, David Cameron's government basically said as much and like I said we try these things in the past and we know they don't work so these issues are always going to be there, but we need to come up with new and creative ways to deal with these problems. But going back into the past, it's shown we've used it. We've done it once. It didn't work. So why are we doing it again? Honestly, I don't understand. People are just going to keep dying. People are just going to keep dying. And Brexit is going to make things like, in Bev's words, I know she wouldn't mind me saying this, Brexit is an absolute disaster for the working class as well. And that I'm not playing into any sort of liberal narrative. I'm talking about workers' rights. I'm talking about um, human rights. I'm talking about EU protections for people. Like, this is a real serious moment right now. Yeah, and, like, when you look um, at Brexiteers and stuff, like, that's what they want. Like, yeah. those people in... Like, the main players for who are leading the kind of charge for Brexit, they want workers' rights to be gone. They want it to be a country where 
you don't have to give a shit about how many hours someone's works, minimum yeah. wage. Holiday pay. Like, yeah, holiday pay. Giving people, like, the right to appeal if they're unfairly dismissed. Protection from discrimination. That's like, what. That's, ex- that's exactly the point that Bev made. Yeah. Actually, sorry to interrupt you, Saskia, no, but she okay. said one of the one of the key moments in the in the coalition government was when they took away legal aid. Now, not only did loads of lawyers lose their jobs and became and and had to move out of the industry, but people could no people could no longer appeal these state sanctions, which were ruining people's lives, either uh, making them work in a way that is just completely discriminatory or not having rights to holiday or not having rights to sick pay. Legal aid was there to yeah. give people free representation. Now people don't have that. So like if and you, haven't had that yeah. for a long time. If you can't and like, you know, this affects the people who are least able to defend themselves. There's no point having laws against discrimination if you can't enforce them. And the people that have been most affected by these policies are black women. Yeah. I mean, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I want to. I'm going to keep bringing that up this year because I think it's important. Like as much as I think it's important to talk about what's happening with Brexit, and I think by the time this this actually by the time this podcast goes out, because tomorrow the EU are coming back with. I thought whether they were going to they... say Brexit would have happened. Was no, like, no, oh my God. <laughs> no, no, the, the EU are going to say whether they think Chequers is any good or not. So we're basically yeah. going to know we're going to have a deal or no deal, whatever. Yeah. Which is that, that that stuff is important to talk about, but I do think we've got to, we've got to bring it back to what is happening. Austerity is still happening. Yeah. I think I agree with Chantel. Like, Brexit has distracted everyone. It's, it's made everyone think of this one issue when all the other stuff is happening still. Still, and it's still happening. There. Yeah. Agrees. So this was our bonus episode of Surviving Society. Um, thank you for listening and thank you for joining us on this year of podcasting. Um, stay angry, <laughs> keep ranting and subscribe and rate us, please. <laughs>